Welcome back to another episode of Let's Face the Facts. This is your first time joining me. Welcome. My name is David Almeida. I'm an actor in Orlando, Florida, and every week I sit down with an actor or artist friend. We watch an episode of the classic sitcom, The Facts of Life. Then I hit record. We talk about the show and lots and lots of other stuff, and hopefully you find it interesting and entertaining. I can't believe I'm going to say the words I'm about to say, but my guest this week is Ken Reed. I'm dying. I am dying. I have been dying. I cannot believe it. Ken is a stand-up comic based out of Boston, but uh, the way I know him is that he has an awesome podcast that I've been addicted to for a long, long time. It's called TV Guidance Counselor, and it's where he uses old issues of TV Guide as a springboard for conversations about the TV we used to watch when we were growing up. His show has been such an inspiration to me. It's really the show that made me want to do this, since I have so much silly TV stuff swimming around in my brain that's just dying to get out. So uh, when I connected with him, just writing him a fan letter, told him about my show, and casually said, hey, if you ever want to be on the show, and he instantly responded and said yes. So I I still am kind of in a pinch me, did that really happen kind of place. So uh, I'm really, really geeking out pretty bad over it. Ken and I discuss season three, episode two, entitled Fear Strikes Back. And the original air date of that was November 4th, 1981. And uh, it was very fortuitous that we connected about the show when we did because this episode has a significance to the two of us which i will talk about in the show now the audio is a little different than usual we recorded it over skype um sounds a little it kind of sounds like am radio which i think is oddly appropriate so i i kind of like it but anyway i'm ready for you to hear this i am still so excited let's jump on in let's face the facts with ken reed Well, this is a very important day because it is my first ever guest via Skype on the other side of my computer. I I can't see him, so I cannot verify it really is him, but it sure sounds like him. To my fours of listeners, this is Ken Reed, your TV guidance counselor. Hello. How are you doing? Big round of applause. (laughs) Woo-hoo. I, I would be really hard-pressed if there was someone being an audio imposter of me. <laughs> I, w- I mean, I would almost like just let them do it, because that would be really yeah. impressive. Yeah, you're kind of like, well, then do do some of my work for me. Get Do my podcast, and I'll take exactly. a little rest. It's a lot of work. Exactly. Yes. So, uh, Ken, because we're by Skype, we were not able to watch the episode together. But did you get a chance to watch the link, the show I sent? I did. I rewatched it today. Although I'm, even though I I make a uh, I I continue to make the same mistake about the episode, uh, I am very familiar with it as well. So it was a it was a good little refresher. Oh, good. Yes. We'll we'll talk about the mistake when we get to it. This is a uh, this is kind of what initially brought us together and made this moment happen. So it's very exciting. But um, what Ken and I have both just watched is the episode entitled Fear Strikes Back. It was originally broadcast on November 4th of 1981. And um, it is so funny. Today we are recording this on Monday, May 20th. And just yesterday you dropped the episode of your show of TV Guidance Counselor with Emma Dumont from yes. The Gifted. And you guys, you did 
almost an entire show just on the facts of life. Yeah, it's her favorite show, which is amazing to me. And and you, but you got to geek out too. I I've known from listening to your show over the years that you have a definite connection and love for the show. But hearing you get into some really more specific stuff, I was just like, this is a gift from the baby Jesus. <laughs> Sometimes things just work out. So to familiarize my fours of listeners, uh, your history with the show is you are uh, I'm 50 and you're a you're a little more than a decade younger than I am. Yep, I'll be 39 next month. Oh, wow. Got 40 looming. Yeah, not looking forward. Oh, it's it's fine. Wait till <laughs> 50 happens. You'll be wishing for 40. I, I promise you. <laughs> I um, don't, don't doubt it. But uh, Ken's encyclopedic knowledge of all things TV. And the thing that surprises me most when I hear you on your show talking about stuff is how much you know of the shows that I grew up with that you could not possibly have watched when I did because you're too young. I don't know. Some of them I did like facts of life. I watched as it aired from probably 82 to the final season. Okay. When I was about two years old, I, I was watching a lot of TV. I was very unsupervised. <laughs> yep. <laughs> as, as, as weren't we all, it, it is insane how for the right kids, the types like us who just, we latch onto it and man, it's, it's never really let go of us. Has it? No, I mean, I think, and this is one of the things I always bring up on the show. I think that for those of us that grew up sort of pre-millennium or especially those of us that grew up pre-VCR, mm -hmm. you really paid attention more. Like you, yes. you were more wide-eyed uh, as things didn't really rerun that much, especially things like variety shows. Those weren't things that were in reruns very often. So you kind of absorbed every single second of it the best that you could, because you were like, all I'm going to have is my memory of this in the future. Yeah. You, you may never see a rerun. And also you don't understand and appreciate as a kid, how absorbent your mind is. I, I can still quote so many of these episodes. I can quote Brady Bunch episodes and Wonder oh, yeah. Woman, as I'm sure you can. I have binged season one of Barry. Now season two is out. I'm like, I don't fucking remember a single thing from season one other than yeah. I loved it. Yeah. I mean, I think it's when you see it and you're also watching it knowing you can rewatch it whenever you want. And yeah. it's not the first time you've seen something like that. Like when you're six years old and Wonder Woman comes on. Yeah. You're like, like, this is like nothing I've ever seen. It's <laughs> yes. going to stick in there. Yeah, so true. So, Ken Reed, let us start and get into synopsizing and talking about this episode. Um, first thing I do is I always do what April Richardson used to do on Go Bayside, is yep. I asked my guest to synopsize the episode in just a sentence or two, and I actually say, like you might see in the TV Guide listing. Uh, Natalie is assaulted uh, on the way home from a... Uh, fancy dress dance, a Hollywood dance. Beautiful. That's, that's what happens. So we begin the scene in the girl's bedroom. I'm always watching to see what the sombrero activity is in the girl's bedroom. Yeah. It moves around a lot. Uh, yeah. Especially season one in season two. Now we just have that carnival looking tiger stuffed animal in the window bay. And it more often than not has the, has a sombrero on it. Yeah. I mean, you're really, you're killing two birds with one stone there. Mm -hmm. 
I always assumed both were carnival prizes that Joe won and gave to the other, gave to either Tootie or Natalie. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah, it it didn't appear until naturally they moved in, moved in, right? And it stays there. I think in um, maybe not. Uh, this season, I think next season the sombrero disappears, but the tiger stays. I've done a like a dissertation about it with like screen stills and labels and stuff <laughs> on my website, and it's it's just a terrible waste of time. Um, but the very first thing is we have got Natalie sitting at the table with a mustache stuck to her face, and very quickly we jump right into the exposition of Tootie going, Natalie, why are you spending so much time and effort preparing for this costume party that's happening? And Natalie turns back to her and says, that's because, do you know what the grand prize is? What's the grand prize, Ken? It's, it's Bruce Springsteen tickets at Madison Square Garden. Yes. There is a shocking number of 80s sitcoms that featured either trying to obtain Bruce Springsteen tickets or uh, like losing Bruce as a plot device. There's like 10 shows. Really? Can you name three of them? Uh, Facts of Life, Growing Uh Pains, and uh, Family Ties has it as a plot point as well. I I feel like Three's Company does too. That that would seem early, but it's possible. Yeah. Or Three's a a Crowd, maybe. Three's a Crowd, maybe. (laughs) And then... Blair and Joe come in and they're in the middle of an argument. And what's happening is Blair was talking to a boy and he was about to ask her out. And then Joe scared him off by riding too close on her bike or something. And it's a boy from Bates. We're sticking with the thing that boys from Bates ask them out. Um, and, and they're all in their street clothes. So we assume that this is a weekend. They're not in their uniforms. So maybe they were somewhere downtown because otherwise, if it's a, during the school week, I don't know when the girls now, from Eastland. I'm guessing Saturday. This is like Saturday mid-morning was my yeah, guess. Because the party is Saturday night. And then I don't know how far ahead we have the um, the, the last scene of the class, the self-defense class. But yeah, we, we don't have a lot of uniforms in this. And that's okay. You get the sense this is a extracurricular thing. Obviously. Yeah. Um, and I like that Tootie went out of her way to... Like, you really had to address that mustache right away because you open on the scene and you're like, why is Natalie wearing a Hitler mustache? Yeah, exactly. And it is. It's a Hitler mustache. Um, So then um, Joe mentions to Blair that she thinks that this boy, his name is Michael Sampson, for whoever cares, um, has some type of an attraction to her. It's not very typical. We have Blair and Joe kind of fighting over the same boys. Yeah, and it's weird, too, that Joe seemed kind of into it. Yeah. Like, that yeah. was odd. Like, like if Joe he was... asked her out, she would have totally said yes. Yeah, she had like, oh, I could, I could do that. I could get him if I wanted, whatever. Yeah. Which is not typical Joe behavior. Yeah, that was, it was very interesting. And, um, and Blair, the, uh, the joke that Blair makes that says, well, if he's interested in you, it has to be some kind of an animal thing. Right. Um, then is it Joe says to her, well, I think you got that mange under control. Yes, that is that is the Joe line. That's the Joe line and doesn't really land hard. Blair tries to react to it. It doesn't really land. We have many, many more uh, middle aged vaudevillian writerly jokes. Yes. To come that are like, what is happening? And And we're coming up right now upon it because Blair and Joe start talking about how are they going to 
dress themselves for this costume party. And Blair says she is going as Jane Fonda. Yeah, and this was interesting, too, for me, because, you know, knowing Lisa Welchel is uh, politically conservative. Yes. And um, and very Christian. Uh, Tootie says a thing like, like expresses shock that Blair would dress as Jane Fonda. And it, it sort of implies that the reason is because of, like, political differences. Yeah. Well, that's what I took from it. It was it was worded strangely that way. Um I will I will add to that. I also think part of it is is why Jane Fonda because she's kind of not really famous at the moment. She is about to be in yeah, the following year. Yeah, pre-workout, right? Yeah, 82 is when the workout came out. So, Jane Fonda has not reinvented herself. She's just you know, an actress, an Academy Award winning actress, all of her political leanings. That was a thing from the late 60s, early 70s during Vietnam. So Blair's um, desire to go as Jane Fonda. She does also say, oh, and there's already somebody going as Bo Derek. Right. But it's is- clear. It's clear that they picked Jane Fonda because they wanted to have the Peter Fonda joke with Joe. Right. I think they reverse engineered it. I, I, I agree 150% because then Joe says, Blair, you can't go as Jane Fonda. Why? Who are you going as? Peter Fonda. Right. Why? And why are you going? I'm, I'm sorry. I'm going to add it. Also, why Peter Fonda? He's not famous at the moment either. Right. His, his fame and his sister's fame was probably at their peak in the simultaneously like in the early seventies, Jane Fonda won later. Like I want to say, when was um, coming home? Was that like 78? Yeah. 70. Well, it was after yeah. Vietnam. So yeah, I think it was 78. Yeah. So yeah, this was clearly, they had the young hip writer in the room who was probably 40. Yeah. Uh, right. The reference. <laughs> oh my God. You're so right. And, um, so, and so Joe has says to say, you know, it's, well, it's about what he represents. It's, you know, the freedom and the open road and all that stuff. She likes Peter Fonda because of Easy Rider, presumably. Yeah. Oh and God, yes. Where the hell is Joe seeing Easy Rider? Because that movie's from what, 1968, 1969? Yeah. Uh, she's supposed to be what, 15? Uh, yeah. 1981, like she wouldn't have seen it on the original run and it's probably not playing anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, Joe is uh, seven. Joe and Blair are 17 at the moment. Okay. But yeah, I agree with you. It's like if she didn't catch it on TV, I I don't know. But pff, any it's anyone's guess, but that's sure. why the middle, like I say, the middle-aged writer. So then in comes Mrs. Garrett, and she's very perturbed. And um, on my show, Ken, I often speak in a Charlotte Ray voice. Oh, yes. And I invite How could you of- not? <laughs> okay, good. You you get me, Ken. You get it. Um <laughs> So I invite all of my guests to also do their bad Charlotte Ray impression, as I always share my bad Charlotte Ray impression. But um, I'm, I'm going to not do it for here. Um, but she comes in and she's perturbed. And she's like, girls, I need to talk to you. Something's happened in town. You know Mrs. King and Tootie? Expositional Tootie right now. Oh, the headmaster's secretary. Yes. <laughs> On the way to her car, a man attacked her. She was raped. Yeah, it's, and, it's it's very big news to just spill out. And the tonal shift here for a show sure. that has a lot of tonal shifts, this is one of the most whiplash-inducing. Yeah. And, and it's theatrical because 
Um, we have Mrs. Garrett says she was raped and she's kind of perturbed. Like she's got kind of the, the squishy face acting like, you know, it's upsetting news. But then we cut to, I think, 2D and then we cut to Natalie. We have these quick reaction shots and then it cuts back to this establishing wide shot of all of them. And they're all standing facing forward. Mrs. Garrett, I don't think, has looked them in the eye no. And she's just expressionless now. Now she is completely devoid of emotion. And they stand there for this beat where you're like, is this where the lights go down in intermission? It's it's yeah. so theatrical. Where and she's like gonna say, like step out in a spotlight and pull like an R town. Yeah. <laughs> Rape was never a word in our vocabulary when I was growing up in Appleton, girls, Wisconsin. Girls. <laughs> there it is. I got it, Ken. I'm excited <laughs> to do that. Um, so yeah, but we've if nothing else, tonal shift awkward aside, we have established what the show's about. Boom. Ladies and gentlemen, a very special facts of life about the rape. So then we go to the next scene in the cafeteria. I'm always curious about the busy work the girls are doing because they are good about keeping to their Bible that the girls are working off their, their debt to the yeah. school. Yeah. And I'm always curious when and if they're ever actually working with food. And we do get it later, but often we get what's happening now where Blair and Joe are laying out napkins Sometimes you might see them putting like flowers into bud vases. Mrs. Garrett is sewing, but we don't have food. This is still just prepping the dining room. But the weird thing is this scene goes right into what could have been a continuation of the preceding scene where the first line is Joe going, wow, I will bet we all walked down that street a hundred times. Uh, and they're still reeling and okay, this is apparently, I, I, I hate to, I don't know how to say this nicely in <laughs> 1981 had a rape never occurred in Peekskill, New York before that. I, it seems like just maybe to nobody they knew. Maybe I guess because they knew her. Yeah. But and, they are also pretty casual about it. Like they're kind of like they're they're Although it has a gravity, they're also sort of talking about it. Like it's from a movie they saw. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I, I, yeah, it's just, it's, it's weird. To again, tonal inconsistency is the watchword we will keep coming back to here. Um, Blair takes on an interesting point of view. I think a valid point of view. Can't we just pretend it didn't happen? And Joe says, come on, you, you can't pretend it says crime everywhere. And Blair responds, I know that I watch Hill Street Blues. Which is a topical reference to a fellow NBC show. And you know that she wanted to say Thursday nights at nine on NBC. Oh, yeah. That was a little Tartikoff intervention. Yeah. Our pride is showing. Yeah. Um, so then Mrs. Garrett says that school is taking precautions to protect the students. That's good. They're installing alarms. And somehow the funny story that she gets to tell is that, and apparently these alarms are so sensitive. I slammed the refrigerator door. I thought I won the secret square. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, uh, are they alarming your refrigerator for I, rapists? What is it like? Is it, is it a sound sensitive alarm? Is it a motion? Is I, yeah. It's just a very contrived constructed joke and yeah. i won the secret square it's like well i think 
Hollywood Squares, while not a network primetime show, something tells me it was an NBC show. Hollywood uh, Squares. Like it was on their daytime. Possible. Yeah, it's possible. I don't it even know if it was on in 81. I know it came back in 86 with John Davidson, but I think I think it wasn't even on the air in 81. I think it was yeah. in that lull between the the uh the the Paul Lind era and the Jim J. Yeah. Bullock era. Yeah, the um uh, Peter uh Peter Marshall, was that yes. who hosted it? Yes, yeah. yes, yes. And um and you know maybe Ken, I will bet you money that the original joke in the first draft of the script was I thought I said the secret word. Oh God, yeah! It's got to be like a 1950s game yeah, show. Yeah, they reference. were they were doing a Groucho reference, and somebody said we could update that to Secret Square because because 20 years ago, yeah, it could have been the third update. It could have been like I thought it was an air raid. <laughs> <laughs> and Joe makes a really interesting point. She says, "Yeah, I've been through these situations before. They put up all this stuff and closed circuit cameras. They may keep a few people out, but mostly they lock people in." Yeah, like she she acts like she was in some sort of Eastern Bloc country <laughs> that she escaped from, you know, where well, it was just like post-apocalypse. Yeah, well, the Bronx, Ken, tomato, tomato. That's true. Really. <laughs> but yeah, it is funny how when like the suicide episode, ah, people die all the time. I had a friend kill herself. Yeah. Well, someone was almost, ah, people almost get raped everywhere in my, my own living room. It's, they always have Joe there as the excessive realist. Yeah. Joe's seen everything. Uh huh. And, and Nancy McKeon is a good enough actress that we believe her. Absolutely. Honestly. Absolutely. Um, so then the moment is lightened where Natalie announces its sitcom trope. Okay, everybody, are you ready? Here I come. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. then Natalie comes in in her Halloween costume. Ken, who is Natalie dressed as? She's dressed as Charlie Chaplin. Yes, she is. And this is where we have to pause and say this is the moment where you and I, our paths intersected. Yes. I remembered her being dressed as Oliver Harding mm-hmm. from Laurel and Hardy. Yeah. Um, and to be fair, a chubby <laughs> she... girl dressed as, as, as Charlie Chaplin does look more like Oliver Hardy. I, I'm not saying you are wrong in any way, shape, or form. And it's just funny for how many you have so oh, often. Yeah. Like dozens of times on your show said, have referenced that moment. And I'm every time I'm in my car listening or whatever going, why would you just be Hardy and not Laurel and Hardy? So that to me was like, I, cause I'm the first to go, am I wrong? I thought it was Charlie Chaplin. Maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe see, I'm fucked up. See, I thought for some, this is how bizarre my childhood brain is. I remembered an exchange that never happened with her trying to get Tootie to be Stan Laurel. Shut up. And I was like, maybe that's that opening thing. And then Tootie wanted to be, cause isn't she like Diana Ross or something? Yeah. Um, and, is, and, yeah. and so she just stuck with the, this is what my child brain filled in. And uh, that is genius because I mean, let's pause for a moment. Hi, I'm a 15 year old girl in 1981 going to a costume party. Yep. It is more likely she would try to go as Laurel and Hardy who are from the thirties and forties than Charlie Chaplin, who is from the teens and the twenties. Yes. Yes. It's like, what? And I, also, just like 
the the concept of a fifteen year old girl trying to get her fourteen year old black friend to be Stan Laurel <laughs> yeah. is really funny. Like that's a funny bit. I, I, yeah, that's I, honestly you should have written this show when you were two. It would have been. What- See what I can do about it. Yeah. I, I frequently say we have to get in our time machine and go back and tell the writers and give them our notes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So what, what happened was I had um, your podcast inspired me so much well, because I loved listening to these conversations about TV and nostalgia and how much you remembered of TV that I grew up with in spite of our age difference. And that's a lot of what I thought I would love to create something similar to that. And then I also loved April Richardson's podcast about Saved by the Bell. And so I kind of combined the ideas and the structure of my show is very much a copy of yours. Oh, thank you. In the, (laughs) you're welcome. I I have no money. I can pay you nothing for it. No, Um, I expect nothing. When I make my first million of all that podcast money, that's going to come rolling in. When they, when they back up that truck to my house with all the cash in it, uh, I'll be sure to cut you in for some of it. Oh, well, thank um, you. <laughs> so, um, but I was writing you, I had already in the back of my mind, we had corresponded about a couple of other silly little, just, you know, Hey, how are you? Love the show stuff. Yep. But I, um, I said, okay, I've already been in my brain saying I need to write to him and tell him thank you. And that I have my own show now. And then you did it again. And I was like, <laughs> I can't. <laughs> I well, was see, like, see, I, I got to stop the madness. Yeah, I and there's a few things like that, and I and I always apologize because I, I sort of have an unofficial rule on the show where there's no looking things up. We just yes. have to we just have to deal with what's in our brains and what's in the guides. Yeah, um, and it sort of leads to a lot of things like that. Oh yeah, <laughs> um, oh, but yes. I. I feel like in the cost benefit analysis, it's still sort of a better unofficial rule, but I, uh, maybe I'm I wrong. do like it on your show. I do not do that on this show. I'm always pulling stuff up and looking things up and I just edit it out. I, you yeah. know, <laughs> I'll say, gee, I wonder what else that actress did. Well, we're oh. looking it up right now. But, or um, you're like, I have it right here off the top of my head. <laughs> I, I sound smarter. Um, so I wrote to you and said, okay, Ken, I've got to tell you, you keep saying this thing. And I, I looked it up to be sure that I'm not wrong. And it's like, it's, I'm, I'm very happy to be the authority who set you straight on that. Which I must say, given the topic of this episode and granted it's different usages of the term, you know, it's a different use of the term tramp. Uh, yeah. That seems like a poor, a poor taste joke. <laughs> I took it as like a, they're in the writer's room and like, they're like, well, she's assaulted. Maybe she's dressed like a tramp. Oh, God, I hope I didn't. I never thought of that. And then someone's like, yeah, hey, hey, how about this? Oh, I hope I hope not. And you're probably right. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. So Natalie comes in with her costume. She's she's waddling away, not really duplicating the walk very well. That's also another point in your favor that you're like that. That walk was not a particularly authentic copy of the way Chaplin really did it. Um. But everyone is all like, oh, it's so funny. And you're going to win the costume contest. And oh, my goodness. And Yes. Look great. Yes. <laughs> but then is the party going to happen at all? Because they're considering canceling the party. And um, Natalie's the one that says, what? What are you talking about? That's crazy. Just because this one attack happened. Maybe we should just stop living. And uh, Mrs. Garrett mentions that there's 
uh, a women's safety course being offered as a result of this too. I mean, the school certainly is getting ahead of the ahead of the curve. Yeah, this is definitely a school that's on it. Like yeah. for all those bad stuff you hear about schools not caring about rapists, this yeah. school seems to be doing everything. Eastland, we care about rape. That's right. Um, so there's just talk about, are you going to go to this uh, safety, women's safety course? Mrs. Garrett says, I've offered the cafeteria for them to do it here since we don't have another set. Right. And, um, and in the talk of yes and no, Natalie's like, nah, I'm not going to do it. Blair just mentioned she has a fabulous karate outfit that she bought after she saw Shogun. Which, <laughs> which is... What, not that something was, Blair would have watched. Yeah, that's a that was a was that the TV movie? Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking Richard, of Kung Fu. Richard Chamberlain was in Shogun in 1980. Well, it would have been contemporary. Yeah, I yeah. guess that works. And uh, I'm doing it right now. And it ran on the National Broadcasting Company. That's right. Dun dun dun. And the scene pretty much ends, but it it, it, it should be noted that. Natalie says, I'm not going, what? I'm not going to that. Whatever. She's very passe about it. Um, so then in scene three, the third scene, we are now in the parlor. And the parlor, we've talked about many times how they have that massive coffee machine. Yep. And that very sad mid-century pastry looking vending machine that looks like the pastries are also from the mid-century. Yep. Ten-year-old Danishes. <laughs> yeah. In the cafeteria. Yeah, it is sort of ironic uh, that the only time I really ever see food is is in that machine. Yeah, we do get some later, as uh, as we'll note. But um, we've talked about it. How at one point Tootie was being wooed by the boy who filled the candy machine, and for one episode, they changed that machine to a candy machine. And I'm like, why didn't you keep it there? That makes more sense that you'd have a candy machine. Yeah. As opposed to pastry. <laughs> Although, isn't Edna supposed to be uh, like a certified nutritionist? Yeah, supposedly. So maybe she like it. They snuck that candy machine by her and then she's like, oh, no. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. But I mean, pastries are just sugar and butter. It's just. But there's fruit. You know, you can have cherries or raspberries. <laughs> okay, you could maybe justify it. And I'm with you. When I eat that stuff, I'm always like, hey, it's apple danish. It's a fruit. That's right. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, maybe that's what's going on. But yeah, Mrs. Garrett is a nutritionist. And we've also covered the fact that she is also a, a registered nurse. Otherwise, she couldn't have taught the sex ed course. She also took flying lessons. So she's a pilot. She she used to clean the toilets. Yeah. Arnold and Willis. And it's like. Ugh. But I always had this backstory for her that was similar to Julia Child in that, like, Edna was actually like a World War Two spy. Oh. Oh and so God. she was actually like Mr. Drummond's Cato. If he oh was going to be, God. you know, or she was like installed there by like a rival billionaire to like keep an eye on him. Oh, my God. That is genius. And and that would explain why when she leaves the girls, she goes into the Peace Corps. Yeah, yeah. I'm leaving the yep. country and I'm marrying this guy and I'm going to go into the yeah Peace Corps. That's she's the, the ticket. She's in the French Foreign Legion. She's a hitman. If, yeah. if she's anything. <laughs> I'm Edna Garrett, trained assassin. That is that's a, a college humor video that needs to be made yesterday. Absolutely. So in the parlor, 
Mrs. Garrett is in her bathrobe. We get the sense from the lighting or whatever. It's evening. Tootie is hopping around on some very, very high heels because she is taller than Mrs. Garrett, which we know she is not. And she is dressed as Diana Ross. And here we go with the shitty writers. Yeah, still not the most topical reference there, too. Diana Ross in 81? I'm honestly like Mahogany and The Wiz. Oh, yeah. What wasn't the Wiz like 79? Yeah. I mean, but everything. Diana Ross was kind of like, and she still had her disco hits. Diana Ross. True. True. I think that's, I think I'm, I'm thinking that's very timely. But then we get the joke of, "Ah, it was so embarrassing going to a costume party and there were 14 Diana Rosses. And two of them were white. Yep. Really? 14? Well, then that would have been, if that, if that joke was 10 years later, it would have been, two of them were guys. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah. Oh, my God. And I think in the first draft, they originally said two of them were Chinamen. But yes. then they said, let's they just, just say. They just made a gong sound. She didn't yeah. even say Chinamen. <laughs> but here's the thing. 14 of the girls at the party were Diana Rosses, and two of them were white. So... Removing Tootie from this, that means there were 11 African-American girls there dressed as Diana Ross. And there are not 11 African-American girls at Eastland. <laughs> Ken, we don't even know that there are 11 girls at Eastland. That's, that's true. This show in the scene coming up later on is, is the biggest argument we have to date that there are more than 20 girls in this school. Right. I get where they were going with that, but it, it just doesn't, it doesn't hit. Uh, No, it did not land. No. And I also want to point out another thing that you've got to love as, as an actor, I'm always fascinated watching people eat when they're performing on film or whatever, because if you do multiple takes, it is not in an actor's best interest to fill their face. And Mrs. Garrett has an apple, which has some bites taken out of it. But at one point she puts it to her mouth and for all intents and purposes, licks it. Yeah, she doesn't even dig her teeth into it. And it is such a uh, it's such a stage actress move. It's like there's a camera on you. We can see you. You're not 50 feet away from the first row. Maybe that's a spy trick. Maybe that's like, you know, maybe she's, you know, I don't know to see if it's poisoned. You know, it could be many things. Uh, Maybe there was a recording device inside the apple. Uh, no, I'm eating this. Yes. <laughs> no. Speak a little closer into the core. Um, and then Blair and Joe come in. Joe is essentially in drag. She's dressed yeah. as Peter Fonda, like we expected her to be. She's wearing a kerchief around her neck. She's got her bicycle helmet on, her jeans and her leather jacket. So basically, Joe went dressed as herself. Yes, with a scarf. With, Actually, with a around her she's neck. dressed more feminine than she normally dresses. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and then, and speaking of uh, lousy costumes, Blair comes in in her alleged Jane Fonda costume. Right. She is wearing one of her regular outfits, one of her ugly 80s blouses with the puffy sleeves, one of her A-line skirts, um, which are sort of, it's sort of the standard outfit that costumers do to try and make women look a little slimmer. Right. You'll notice that the lines of this outfit are a lot like what they put Delta Burke in on designing women before she left the show 
when she was having her weight problems. Yes. The similar thing. It's like the AKA line skirt. It's like accentuate the waist and puffy sleeves. That makes the, you know, it gives the more of a middle case. look smaller. Yeah. Yeah. It makes everything. And, and it's, you can tell they are just not happy. And we know the behind the scenes stories of the awful shit they put her through. To oh God. Yeah. Be skinny. And, um, but she is wearing essentially one of her regular everyday outfits. We would see her on any other weekend, but she has a picket sign that says down with war and some flowers drawn on it. Right. That's it. There is an allusion to an interaction with the boy, the same boy that they didn't talk to before. And Joe says, and then you stuck a pamphlet in his hand. So it's like, so your costume was dressed as yourself, not even a wig, not even the no. Jane Fonda shag, the shag haircut that she had. Yeah. No that, Barbarella look. No. And yeah. It, yeah, there are so many Jane Fonda looks that one can mimic, but nope, she's Blair, got her big old blonde hair cascading down her shoulders. Very Dallas. Yeah, yes. Oh, oh, so Charlene Tilton. But um, yeah, so her costume was a picket sign and some pamphlets that she handed to people. And she was expected, and she went to a, a costume party expecting people to look at her and say, oh my God, you're totally Jane Fonda. It's Hanoi Jane. No, really. <laughs> uh, so, and, and similarly, when Joe walked in, like people are going to walk up to her and say, oh, Joe, look at you. You're Peter Fonda, an easy rider. Yeah. No, no. You look like Joe, Joe. Joe, are you you in a scarf? <laughs> <laughs> so they mentioned that the person who won the costume contest was a girl dressed as, do you remember this? What they said, Ken? Oh, I forget what she was. <laughs> Sophia Lauren. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Of course, yes. So the judge must have been a 75-year-old man. What? But, well, who, okay. hi, I'm a high school girl in 1981. Who am I going to dress as for a costume? And it's like Gina Lola Brigida. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, and they, the, the joke they do there that lands is... Uh, Blair is like, oh, it was just a stupid costume. She just uh, stood in the corner, looked dumb, and spoke in Italian. I could have done that. And then Joe says, well, the Italian would have given you some trouble. Yeah, classic Oops. setup, punchline, yeah. knock it down. Setup punchline, yeah, exactly. So then um, Natalie is going to be upset because she was hoping to win the costume contest with her Charlie Chaplin. Yeah, oh. and they also really don't sell why she was so uh so set on winning that with that chap like why she thought the chaplain was gonna really yeah. kill it. it's and and it's not like he made a comeback it, no. it, it's not like there was this resurgence of interest in his work at, at the turn of the 1980s among teenage girls uh, certainly not among teenage girls yeah now the only thing i will give her is that we know that in a couple of episodes, we've mentioned Natalie has an affinity for the Three Stooges. Yes. So, you know, if if she grew up when we're where and when we did, she was watching TV thirty eight and Channel fifty six and watching yes. the uh, those and naturally with the Three Stooges. But no, I'm sorry, Ken. We did not get Charlie Chaplin. We no, got I was, I was just going to say we got Lauren Hardy. We got the Hardy boy. I mean, the Bowery boys. We got little uh, rascals, little rascals, and the Three Stooges, and sometimes some Abbott and Costello stuff. Oh yeah, we, oh, God. We, I was actually, I remember seeing Harold Lloyd stuff on TV way more than Charlie Chaplin stuff. 
I, I remember neither. I never remember ever. Maybe if you were flipping channels and you hit channel two and there was a PBS documentary about it. Yeah, potentially. Maybe. Yeah, but about not like in blacklisting. Yeah, <laughs> but not, not in regular rotation during the cartoon block when you watch the no. Flintstones and Gilligan's Island. I'll no. say this. In, what, 1975, we had the cartoon, the, the robotic Three Stooges. We did not have a Charlie Chaplin cartoon. No, we did not. So we're, we're sticking to our guns that um, we think the writers may not have done a good job here. I agree. Uh, <laughs> so um, they say Natalie's going to be upset because she didn't win the contest. And Tootie says, well, she still seemed to be having a great time when I left. But there is the question lingering in the, lingering in the air. Why are all of them home? And why is Natalie not home? Yeah. And we know that they all live in a different place. They don't live in the dorms. They live in the cafeteria. Like when I was a kid I, and I was a loner, if I went to like a social event with friends, I left with those friends. Like I didn't, people didn't yeah. just leave on their own whenever they felt like it. Yeah. yeah. At 15, of course. It's like, yeah, I don't, you're, you're so right. You are so right. But when she comes in, she is disheveled and she is crying and of course, it's Natalie. What happened? Yeah, and, and this is uh, you know I have to give Minnie Cohen credit here as she's the the most non actor of the group. She and does good. She I does think. very well, and they write for her. It's not a well written. Um, no. It, they, the writer has decided that the haunting refrain is I was almost home. Yes. yes. <laughs> like that's enough to make it really sink in. And it's, it makes it so high school theatery, but she, she sells it. Yeah, no, she does. But she says that while she was coming home, she was almost home. And suddenly out of nowhere, a man grabbed her, threw her down and covered her mouth. And in the middle of the story, <laughs> Mrs. Garrett had to jump in with a, oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's uh, all about her. Oh, my God. And it's not a very good, oh, my God. No. We're the, we've talked about on this show about how some of her comedic choices are questionable and how she is so good as the nurturing mother figure. But if it gets too comedic and cartoonish, if it gets too dramatic... There, there's a narrow lane where I think she excels and excels really beautifully. She falls into farce far too often. Yeah. And, and I was saying just recently, I think it might have been even just last week's show where I said, and, and it could just be because that's the only thing she ever did because she looked the way she looked. She was a short, stout, odd looking woman. She was not an ingenue. So it was always, you know, make her put her into a character role. So she was oh, yeah. Mammy. Mammy Yoakum in Little Abner. Yeah. She was Mrs. Peachum in the Three Penny Opera that yeah. B. Arthur did at the beginning the, of her career. The stuff she did in Car 54. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, exactly. So she's always been a character actress. And um, and it's like this, the, the nurturing maternal levels that she achieves are so beautiful. Um, but yeah, the the overly dramatic sometimes go a little far and this is one of them oh my god um <laughs> so then natalie says there were some other kids coming and the man must have heard them and he let me go and he ran off so if it hadn't been for them i don't know what could have happened mrs garrett i was almost home and she collapses on mrs garrett crying yep 
and fade, fade to commercial. Yeah, but not before the audience applauds. Yes, yes. That that is some Emmy winning acting right there. Um we've um I I have a, an affinity for the awful clap track that they use here. It's recycled from different strokes. Yeah. And it's a clumsy clap track where the onset of the claps are not as smooth as they could be. Right. But that's what makes it so distinct and you always recognize it. Like I've I've heard that clap track so much. I'm like, I know the people who are clapping. I feel like I know them. They've been um, dead for years. Yes. <laughs> but they live on. Um, but this is not the dubbed in clap track. It yet it feels imposed. It feels like somebody lit up a sign or someone in the crew or um on the sidelines were Yeah. 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 It's like maybe they're just like, thank God it's over. Yeah. But for how often on this show we have seen them, similar to the, the the very first scene when Mrs. Garrett says she was raped, and just this pregnant pause and silence, and then a slow fade to black during the silence. They've done that so often. Yeah. This would have been the perfect place. Maybe they did like 40 takes, and the warm-up <laughs> comic kept be like, guys, please stop clapping yeah. and they just couldn't get it like it's yeah. or the, or they were laughing or doing like one of those Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> and so clapping was like as good as they were gonna get oh. <laughs> i i want to take this video and i want to dub in some Ooh. yeah Ooh. like like when you know zach and what's her name kiss on uh yeah. Yeah. on a kid's show or whatever yeah uh but yes we are now with the commercial and uh, now is the point where I take a little break in the middle of our synopsis to talk to my guest and do a little getting to know you. Ken, could you, for my fours of listeners, tell us about the structure of your podcast and uh, what it's all about? Sure. Uh, I own more or less every issue of TV Guide magazine, uh, like a normal person. And someone picks... Like you do, yeah. Exactly. Uh, and the thing I used to joke about when when people would come over my house and they'd see the big spinning rack of them in the corner of my uh, dining room, my formal dining room, is uh, they'd ask <laughs> why, why I had them and I'd, I'd say alibis. But um, the, <laughs> the concept is someone picks an old issue and they go through and they'd write down what they'd watch that week in history and then they hand me the guy, they have their list, and then we just go through the week. That's sort of the, the most simple version of the show. And, and as you go through it, the person will say, oh, well, I was going to watch this TV movie. And then you would say, oh, but you know this episode of Fantasy Island was on. Right. The one with Annette Funicello and her ventriloquist dummy that was taking over her personality. Correct. And, you know, and all the talk and the nostalgia, and that's just, uh, oh, I just fell in love with it. It's called oh, TV you. Guidance Counselor. Correct. Yes. And uh, anyone listening to this show, if you like the type of stuff in the sidebars that I talk about in this show, you will love, love, love TV Guidance Counselor. Yeah. And just go, if people go through and just cherry pick, if there's a guest who you've heard of, usually that's kind of the best introduction. Oh yeah, sure. No, it's great. And um, the other connection I feel so deeply with you is that you don't just talk about TV from my childhood. You are a stand-up comic based out of Boston. Correct. Correct. And most uh, of your guests are fellow stand-up comics, comedians. You're branching out now into other uh, avenues of people in show business. But Very true, yeah. 
I keep it local. The people I have the most access to are, are Boston people. Yeah. And um, with that, you bring in people from all over the state. I grew up in beautiful Brockton, Massachusetts. Shoe town. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Shoe capital of the world. My dad always said that. And um, with that, your is it your grandfather was there? So you visited yep. your grandfather? Yep. Big, and uh, you talk big... about Brockton oh, on yeah. your show. And it's like, I'm like, that's my hometown. You're talking about places <laughs> that I know. Yeah, that's where my dad grew up uh, when his parents got divorced. My big, big Ken, my grandfather moved down to Brockton. And so, yeah, we'll, like a couple times a year, we'd go down there, go to Christo's. Oh, a, Christo's Greek salad. Greek salad and a bar pizza. And, yep. uh, you know, and I'd go to the New England comics and, uh, and I was right in the world. I get this not just nostalgia for the TV of my childhood, but for my home of my childhood. <laughs> When I listen to your show and comics and you have, and am I correct that your record is that the most, it's the one city where the most guests have come from. Yeah. Sense. I, yeah. I think we've had seven people from Brockton. I want to say that's crazy. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of comics from Brockton. It's, uh, it's kind of shocking. Well, I mean, comedy comes from pain. So uh, it's true. And no it more. is a, a lot of boxers, boxers and comedians. Oh, yep, that's that's the thing. The city of champions, Brockton, yep. now was the shoe capital, now city of champions, because yep. we are home to both Rocky Marciano. That's right. And uh, if you're from New England, you want a name like Marvelous Marvin Hagla. That's right. It's uh, second only to Ma Common as the uh, best Ma name to say with a yeah. with a Boston accent. You talk about that. Oh my God. <laughs> and then. Um, so I, I adore your show and I love all the, all for all of the aforementioned reasons and oh, I thank you so recommend much. it. And if we could, before, um, we move back onto the show, would you please explain your terminology for the mindset of most people in Massachusetts? Oh, the, the artisanal xenophobia. <laughs> yes, sir. That's yeah. what I wanted to hear you say. Yeah, it's. I always describe it that way because people sort of lazily say Boston is racist, and it's, it, it's more than that. Where it's not that you are of another race or another gender; it's that you're not that person. Yeah, it's, it's that you're not me. So it's yeah. like a very specific. Or some people who are more open-minded, it's like you're not from my street. Yeah, you're the next door neighbor. How often you have said this and how there's just this attitude of you think you're better than me. Oh, yes. Yeah, there's the <laughs> other thing I always say is you would think there's not enough shoulders for all the chips. But uh, it's, it is it's a very fascinating uh, social place because you have the students. We lose 30 percent of our population every year uh, who are students. So it's like this weird turnover of, uh, you know, academia. And we have mm -hmm. this sort of, you know, Harvard, MIT with this like provincial blue collar uh, generational uh, poverty. And it's it's a very it, weird place. It is. And yet Massachusetts is a blue state, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. The, you would uh, never know it if you go too far out of the city. You would never suspect. No. Well, there, there's a there's a whole thing, too, where people are are weirdly defensive of other people. Like they'll be like, uh, like, uh, hey, leave that guy alone. Who cares if he's an illegal Mexican? Like it's like <laughs> a weird like you can't tell if they're pro or con. Like it's a very strange place. Yeah, you. Yeah, that's you've described it in a nutshell. Anyhow, um, I love your show. I am so thrilled that I couldn't. I I asked you just kind of a hey, you ever want to be on the show? Ha <laughs> ha! I can always dream, can't I? 
I did not <laughs> expect you to say yes so quickly and so readily. So I cannot oh, wow. you enough. Yeah, no, absolutely. Happy to do it. I'm happy to, to be anywhere who that'll have me. Oh, that's so that's so awesome. And I hope this is not the last time, but let's let's finish out this episode. Sure. And hope, hope I don't piss you off and you change your mind or something. <laughs> so uh, we come back from commercial. We are now in the kitchen and they are preparing food, actual food. Yes. For who we don't know, but they're preparing it. Yeah. And it's it's Mexican night because <laughs> Mrs. Garrett has some taco shells that she's pulled out of the oven um, I'm not sure you make taco shells in the oven. I'm I'm gonna give her a pass and say she's probably just crisping them and heating them up. Yeah, I mean I, I, that explains the the sombrero upstairs. Oh, there. Oh, that was in the some the sombrero was holding the taco meat, which is in a pot in a pan next. Okay, exactly. That's everything. Um, Blair is grating some cheese, but she's falling asleep. Joe is slicing lettuce. So we've we have committed to a type of cuisine. And we are thematically uh, sticking to it, and it's it's good. It is a good thing. But uh, Blair is falling asleep, and the reason is that she has been up, quote unquote, most nights with Natalie all week. I think we're passing this off like it's been about a week or so. Yeah, about a week, I'd say. And um, and they say her nightmares are getting worse, and she's afraid of the dark, and they need uh, they need to be walking her to the bathroom in the middle of the night, and the way- Natalie's. The way they say it is not like we're concerned. They're like, what a pain in the ass. Yes. No empathy. No. Zero. Yeah. Um, but thankfully, this is why we have Mrs. Garrett to say, girls, Natalie's realizing how vulnerable she is. And um, uh, Joe is angry, of course. Joe has got to play the angry. And Joe mentions some advice that her dad once gave her. And she yep. says, there are the people who get shoved around and there are people who do the shoving. Joe, you do the shoving. And this is before we've met Alex Rocco as her dad, right? No, we did meet him. Oh, he came in last season? Okay. End of, end of season two, he came in. So we did meet Alex Rocco. And I know you really like him and you frequently bring up how much you like him on the of show. Course. And I agree. I couldn't agree more. And what town is he from? He's from uh, Charlestown. Oh, Somerville. Somerville. Yep. Right outside of Boston. One of the yep. boroughs. Was one of the Winter Hill Gang guys. <laughs> That's right. He was in both The Godfather and in the Cannonball Run 2. Yep. Great career. I wish I had such a career. And in Return to Horror High mm-hmm. with George Clooney and uh-huh. Marsha Brady. I did not know that. Maureen yep. McCormick, Marsha Brady? Yep. Shut up. I'm yep. not familiar with that. 1985, New World Pictures, a horror movie, sort of a horror comedy. Uh-huh. Not too bad. Amazing. I got to see this now. Uh, Blair breaks this moment of sort of tension by saying, well, I know what's going to make everybody feel better. She somehow has secured tickets to the Springsteen concert That's right. this coming Saturday night. And Joe even says, it almost makes me like you. Yes. But she still lords it like, oh, it's I only got these because I'm so rich. Yeah. Yeah. But she does acknowledge that Blair is doing it to also do something nice that she knows will help Natalie. And um, to this point, I, I haven't had reason to falter yet. But the frenemy relationship between Blair and Joe, I think, is highly underrated as yeah. we look back. I'd agree. And they are 
for how much they spar for all of their vaudevillian uh, shtick with insulting each other. They always, when the chips are down, stand up for each other and have each other's back. They're like an old married couple. They are. They totally are. Um, so then Natalie and Tootie come in and they're out of breath because Natalie, Tootie was going to walk Natalie from class to the cafeteria. And apparently Natalie ran the whole way and Tootie had to keep up with her. Right. So Natalie is still scared. And um, they're like, come on, it's not that bad. You know, Natalie, isn't there something we can do? You're missing the uh, awful joke before that. She's like, well, it was getting dark. And they go, Natalie, it's noon. <laughs> yes. And Mrs. Garrett holds up her finger like, ah, ah, ah. Yeah. And then Joe says, oh, yeah. I mean, you never know when a total eclipse might sneak up on you. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so um, lovely uh, continuing with, oh, the cringeworthy jokes. Natalie says in great after school special style, I know my limitations as girls. We're weak and helpless and we don't have a chance out there. Right. And Judy shrugs and says, Wonder how much a sex change costs. But I'm pumped. Oh, wow. Yikes. Then Blair gets in a great joke. Well, we all have to bear the burden of being attractive and feminine. Then she turns and looks at Joe and says, well, some of us. Right, right. And Mrs. Garrett, thank God, chimes in with, attractiveness is not what these attacks are about. Right, which made me realize that the whole crux of this episode and the reason that they made Natalie be assaulted and the reason that they didn't glam yeah. her up was just for that to be like we it's you can't say what was she wearing you can't because it's yeah. Natalie dressed like Charlie Chaplin yeah Mrs. Garrett's making the comment like that is not in my opinion quite taking it far enough as far as attractiveness is not what these attacks are about it's like, well, maybe you should tell people what the attacks are about, because this is right. a time we still didn't quite get what rape was about. Right. And, you, you know, thankfully, we didn't have Blair going, why her and not me? Kind right. Of thing. Which but, wouldn't have felt wrong on that show. Like, that wouldn't have been out of place. Yeah, I agree with you, and I wish I couldn't. Um, so, yeah, it would have been nice to have a little extra something about they're about power. They're about being the ultimate bully. Right. It's about... It's violence. It's not sexual. It's like yeah. A, it's yeah. violent. Exactly. Exactly. So um, that would have been what a nice little uh, additional line for her to say. But oh well, we didn't get it. At least we got that one. About there's also not a like a. It's not your fault. You were at the wrong place at the wrong time. Yes. It could have been. It could have been any one of you girls. Yes, and we'll get to that a little bit more even later. Um, but while talking about the Springsteen tickets, very quickly, the girls all lighten up and the mood changes. We'll take the train to New York. And Tootie's like, we'll walk around and take in the sights. And Joe says, I know a great Italian place that has scungili. <laughs> and Natalie's like, I'm not going. If I have to go out, I don't want to see Springsteen. And they're like, well, he's not going to come here to you. But um, th th it ends with another after-school special delivery. You can all pretend like nothing happened, but I know what's out there. Right. And somebody says, Natalie, the world is out there. You can't stop living. And she's like, I'm not going. And then she storms up the stairs and she's gone. Yeah. And then we go into <laughs> our next scene where... <laughs> 
This is so weird. Natalie's in the bedroom. Mrs. Garrett comes in and she says, what you doing? She says, I'm catching up on my reading. And she says, I'm reading Walden. And Mrs. Garrett says, oh, by Thoreau. And I'll admit, I did not know what that is. Right, I, right. I'm more of a TV guy, not oh, quite a book enough. guy. Fair enough. And do you know what Walden by Thoreau is? I do. Walden okay. Bond of Massachusetts. Because it's in Concord, Massachusetts. That's right, right. I found out thanks to Wikipedia. And uh, yeah, it's a book that I'm, I'm going to read this. It's a book by Henry David Thoreau, A Reflection Upon Simple Living in Natural Surroundings, uh, Part Personal Declaration of Independence. Right. It was his, uh, his philosophy of transcendentalism. Yeah. And uh, Voyage of Spiritual Discovery, uh, and to some degree, a manual for self-reliance is right. what I'm, I am editing. <laughs> I am editing Wikipedia. So that's how watered down it is. <laughs> but it is, it was written about Walden Pond, Concord, Massachusetts. And in discussing it, suddenly Mrs. Garrett is like, oh, I remember. I love that book because it reminded her of her home in Appleton, Wisconsin, yes. which we've, we've been to before. That is a consistent thing. That has been, I think, since um, since different strokes, we've made it very clear she's from Appleton because right. Charlotte Ray herself is from Milwaukee, I think. Yeah. If this was a drinking game, anytime she mentioned Appleton, Wisconsin, that's when people would take a shot. <laughs> but then she has a quote. What was that quote? Lakes like gossamer gleaming <laughs> against the pine trees. And it's like, okay, that's, that's a seven, eight word sentence. Yeah. That's not really a quote. It's also, it's there's not, no context for it. it. Yeah. It's very, very weird. And, um, it, we do kind of get into the connection between this and the episode where Natalie says, I'll bet you in Appleton, Wisconsin, you never had stuff like this happen. Bet you everybody knew everybody You never bothered locking your doors. And, um, and she's like, you're right. And she's, and she says, and nobody was afraid. She says, oh, but I was afraid. Lightning <laughs> used to frighten me. And um, the lesson here is that fear is fear and it has to be overcome. You don't want to hide behind a locked door all your life. Natalie, why don't you come to the safety class? Right now you feel helpless. Take some action. Help yourself. Right. Beautiful. Beauty fucking full yes um and then natalie says no and then charlotte ray goes into a theatrical performance yes of, well how do i convince her well you're shirking your responsibility <laughs> you need to cover this for the school paper you're the journalist so journal and natalie thankfully does not have um an argument for that no, it's foolproof. Yeah, it's true. And it keeps that consistent through line of Natalie being the writer and the journalist. And that continues throughout the series. Bravo. I've always said to the writers, thank you for doing that. Um, and uh, yeah, so we move on to our final scene now in the cafeteria. And we are meeting the instructor of this women's safety course. And uh, the actor is Lewis Welch. Mm -hmm. And like many people I find on the Facts of Life... His acting credits end in the 80s. Yes. And he did A Scarecrow and Mrs. King in 1985 and never to be seen from again. 
Yeah. Well, you know, he had peaked. What are you going to do after that? <laughs> after this this episode and the facts alike. Previously, he had done a Maude episode, a Laverne and Shirley episode. And, um, and it was one of the awful later season Laverne and Shirley. So I don't even remember it. It was no. awful. Yeah. Um, but the, um, so he is already, uh, in sort of midstream talking about, okay, we're here to talk about safety. Now, before we go on, we have to talk about the girls. We alluded to it earlier, but to my shock and delight, I count about 20 girls in this scene. Yeah. Including our four, but all the extras and, um, yeah, we said before, 11 of them are not African-American or ethnic of any kind. I think I see one or two that look like they might be slightly not white. Right. And um, among these 20 girls, who do we not have? We do not have Nancy. We don't have Sue Ann. We don't have Molly. We don't have um, Cindy. No. Nor do we have any of the black girls that Tootie was hanging out with in the Who Am I episode when she was trying to, you know, hang with her own people and right. reconnect with her ethnic roots and all that stuff. There were either three or four other girls in that show who were friendly with Blair and Natalie, and no, none of them. Nope. It's like, w- very weird. And I mean, we never see them again until that reunion episode later on in the series. But it's like, We've talked about how they could have brought back Nancy, Sue Ann, Molly, or Cindy in other ways. And um, yeah, so just pointing out, and and the way they are dressed, we have a lot of the Eastland blue and yellow gym outfits. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them are in regular um, street clothes or like gym clothes. One girl standing in the background has long blonde hair, and she has one of those amazing twisty headband things from the 80s. Yes. It gives me life. <laughs> Quintessentially 80s, and I love it. Yes. Um, so now we get into the, the pamphlet portion of this show. Girls, half of you women will be victims of a crime. And the girls all giggle. Oh, no, don't laugh. It could happen to you. I thought that was weird. Like, why did they laugh? I like, know. It's a weird reaction. Yeah. I mean, yes, there is the it couldn't happen to me thing. That's everybody. We all think that. We're all like bad about everything. Oh, that happens to other people, not me. But well, yeah. laughing is yeah. strange. It, I, I agree. <laughs> so the good advice and everything he dispenses here is good advice. And I do remember this from being a kid, actually. Like, I remember as a boy watching it, I was about 12 at this point. I remember, or maybe I was 13, but I mean, some of this, I still am like, I still remember that and think of that. Like, you know, do you have something on you that you can use as a weapon and yeah. things like that? Um, but he says to them, don't go around like a victim. So we have to involve the girls, girls of our show. So he asks Tootie to walk for him. So she walks and says, how did I do? And he's like, you were casual. You were relaxed. You did lousy. You need to walk with confidence. You need to walk so that someone who's thinking of trying something might think twice. And um, he goes, I want to see somebody walk with some toughness. I need someone with more grit. And Blair says, oh, Joe, grit is your middle name. Yes. And Joe gets a beautiful moment where she struts around, not just doing her confident Joe walk, but then she loops around and ends up face to face with him. Hands on her hips, kind of like, I fucking dare you to try something. <laughs> yeah, please come at me. It is, it's a beautiful, um, 
character moment, and we get this with Blair too. We're still writing well for the characters. And there's wild applause to this moment because this is such a great Joe moment. Then Joe even says, I wish some creep would try something. And that's when he says, no, you want to get away, avoid a confrontation. Yes. And then he is able to take her down because she lets her guard down. He ends up being able to pin her down. And then finally, he gets Blair up there, who is, of course, showing off her beautiful kimono that she's got on. And so he says, you need to never let your guard down. He asks her for directions. And as she points, he grabs her and gets Blair in a headlock. And Lisa Welchel, beautifully, comedically, he says, what are you going to do? You should never let your guard down. What are you going to do? And she's like, I don't know. And he's like, your legs are free. Kick me. And she says, I can't. <laughs> yeah. And he says, your other hand is free. Punch me in the groin. And she's like, oh. <laughs> she's scandalized. That wouldn't be proper. Yeah, exactly. And he says, and he lets her go. And she, she walks back just glaring at him like, how dare you? It's a beautiful, beautiful character moment for her. But he says to her, what? Is it too unladylike? You need to protect yourself. You're protecting your life. So then, uh, so we've literally had, we've checked all the boxes. We've had a Tootie moment. We've had a Joe moment. We've had a Blair moment. So Mrs. Garrett goes back to Natalie and says, so what do you think of what you've been hearing? And Natalie's like, yeah, it's fine. If you like fiction. And she right. starts to leave. And Mrs. Garrett says, back to Walden, huh? <laughs> and somehow that makes her stay. Yeah. It's like I, maybe she implanted a hypnotic suggestion and that was the trigger word. I love that. That's you're, you're right. You're absolutely right. There's no more to be said there. Yeah. Um, so then um, uh, I have to stop for this moment. A girl gets up and says, hey, Mrs. Garrett, you promised you'd take part. Go ahead. Yes. Yes. It's a blonde girl with braids. This would yeah. have been the perfect line you could have given Molly or you know Sue Ann or whatever but it's a girl we have never seen before never met before we'll never see again no she's wearing a maroon sweatshirt with maroon matching leg warmers but hot pink tights yes and I think her shorts are gray with like maroon piping or something very odd color combination she actually is credited in the show because she has a line uh, her name is Paige Connor, C-O-N-N-E-R. She only has six IMDb credits, including In the Heat of the Night and hmm. some movie called Fast Food in 1989. Oh, yeah. Fast Food with Jim Varney and Tracy Lords is in that movie. Is it? Okay. I wondered yeah. if I, I meant to look it up and I was in my brain was just going, shit, I meant to look this up. Thank also, you. I have you, Ken. Here's a weird connection. Also stars sister of Bruce Springsteen, Pamela Springsteen. What? Yes. It's a teen sex comedy about a burger place that invents a secret sauce that makes people horny. <laughs> I am not kidding. No. That is the plot of that movie. And no. it has um, uh, Melanie Griffith's sister is in it as the lead girl. Oh, God. No. Tracy Griffith, I think is her name. She's that a chef. That sounds awful and i have to see it now yeah it's it's worth a watch if you like terrible movies holy shit which i do and then as another full circle moment we have she also this this actress she also was in little darlings ah. playing the playing the coveted role of girl in t-shirt oh that is that was a tough role yeah 
I mean, it was kind of like, okay, should we put her in a sweatshirt or can she act with just the t-shirt on? How versatile is she? Yeah. But the movie Little Darlings is significant. It's significant to the facts of life because it is what the network, some network person saw and went, huh. This dynamic between the rich privileged girl and the poor girl from the other side of the tracks, the Christy McNichol, yes, uh, Tatum O'Neill thing. They thought we need to bring in a girl who could be uh, who could match Lisa Welchel because none of the others could, right? Because Lisa Welchel is so fucking good, even though she's you know fourteen or however old she was at the beginning. Um, so yeah, so Little Darlings is significant to the facts of life because it, in many ways, is responsible it's the inspiration. for inspiration how we got to the Blair and Joe in this, this new iteration of the show. Perfect. Um, I did look up. It looks like this actress is now a beautician and that she comes from Atlanta or somewhere in Georgia. Makes sense. Uh, but I'm going to say that, Hey, Mrs. Garrett, you promised you'd take part. Go ahead. Right. It, it sounded really fake. Yeah. She was playing it up. Yeah. She I was least... huckle, huckleberry hounding it. Yeah. <laughs> beautiful so mrs garrett then joins in so she's like stick around maybe you'll learn something so she takes center stage and the girls are all yay she's doing some boxing moves and yeah and acting yeah. like okay i'm gonna be empowered and doing funny physical comedy charlotte ray stuff uh looking still very slim and attractive in her navy blue onesie yes and um she gets her her big joke moment, as as so many of these episodes do. It's so focused on the girls. They have to create these moments and say, oh, this is still Charlotte Ray's show. We have to create stuff for her to do. So um, he sets up a scenario where, okay, you hear someone behind you. What do you do? She's like, I run. So she pretends to start running. And then what do you do? You scream, scream. Uh, what do you call for help? I call for help, yeah. But don't say help. Say fire. That will get people's attention. Right. So reverse engineering the comedy, she says, fire, like you wouldn't say as you were running away from someone. Yes, yes. And then he says, say it louder, fire, louder. And then we get the full, the screen full stops, Charlotte Ray, fire. The full Doppler effect, Charlotte Ray. I mean, in all of her vocal glory, that was hilarious. It brings down the house. Everyone loves it. And um, and the way she plays the end of it, she does this big, long, extended, sustained fire. And at the end of it, she kind of is looking at him like, is 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 that what you mean? Right. It's it's very funny. It it totally lands. Um, then Mrs. Garrett says, Well, Natalie, maybe you want to participate now. And the instructor says, you seem to look skeptical. And Natalie, well, this is all entertaining, but it doesn't happen this way. Nothing would have helped or stopped what happened to me. And then we proceed to um, kind of shake Natalie loose from this funk through the wonderful technique of victim shaming. Yes. Yay! A classic. Wow, we've had slut shaming on the show. Time for some victim shaming. Where, without empathy, <laughs> he says, Yes. What, were, were you walking at night? Well, yeah. Were you alone? Well, yeah. Was it a well lit path? No. And uh, he says, Did you listen for footsteps or check the area? Well, no. Did you carry a purse? Well, yeah. 
And then he goes sidebar and says, who has a purse? Give me a purse. And they empty a purse and he starts de demonstrating how you can use your keys or a pencil or a hairbrush or even a lollipop as a weapon if you are in a pinch and need to defend yourself. And after the lollipop, he, Tootie gets the laugh. Huh, killer candy. Yes. It gets yes. a laugh. Um, gotta end on a laugh. You gotta. And you gotta. also, Natalie has a lollipop just on her. Yeah. <laughs> We've talked about, they never did a fat joke about Natalie. Never did an episode about her weight. Garbage. But, but a plethora of food jokes and food references. Yeah. That I think they their, just... That yeah. was their workaround, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. So... Um, so now he says, come on, let's go on to the next episode, the, the next chapter here where he's getting the girls set up for some type of a physical event. So let's all get up and they go to the back of the room theatrically so that Mrs. Garrett and Natalie could be in the foreground or downstage, as we say. Um, so, Mrs. Garrett, so what do you think? Does any of this make sense? And Natalie says, well, I guess I maybe could have gone home with the others. And, you know. I had that cane from my Charlie Chaplin costume. Right. He could have used that. And it's like, and again, it's like, um, Mrs. Garrett, this is where you can say, in spite of all this information we're giving you, you can't blame yourself. That well, needs to be said. And it's this not. Is always blame yourself. Yes. <laughs> and so then Natalie's thing is like, wow, after he victim shamed me, he was right. I'm going to victim shame myself. Yeah. Uh, but she ends with saying she's still afraid. And Mrs. Garrett, and these are the best, best Charlotte Ray line delivery. I'm not even going to mimic her because it's so good. She says, everybody's afraid. These are crazy, crazy times. But <laughs> life is still sweet. Don't let your fear paralyze you. Use it to make you alert, aware, and smart. Yeah. And it's bravo. Thank it's good you. Good advice. Good advice yeah. today. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> to, to hear someone in 1981 say, these are crazy, crazy times. They had no idea. Oh. No idea. Oh, children. Oh, children, children. My goodness. So finally, this physical thing is set up. So, you know, we kind of have that moment of Mrs. Garrett and Natalie and <laughs> nothing said about, I'm sure your nightmares will go away. I'm sure you're not suffering post-traumatic stress disorder. I'm sure we can fix this with right. a karate chop. Perfect. And so that's what they do. They all come into their, uh, their groups. They all kind of move downstage and spread out. And the instructor says, all right, are we ready? All together now. And all of them in unison. Hi-ya! Yes. Like their Billy Ocean's Bittersweet Song or Carl Douglas and Kung Fu Fighting. <laughs> or Miss Piggy on any episode of The Muppet Show. Exactly. <laughs> and with that, we are at the end of our episode. Yes, we've learned a lesson. We have learned. So, I mean, and literally we have, not through the best of writing and uh, best of uh, expressing ideas, but the ideas nonetheless like you say, they still hold up. You could still show this to somebody today with with the couple little footnotes that I'm I've mentioned and and I think it still flies. I think it's Yeah. Absolutely. Good. And I like I believe that actor as a guy that teaches that kind of course and you know, the self-defense stuff he teaches is still effective. Yeah. You yeah, know, he was good. He was spot on. That was great casting. Yeah. 
it felt real. Like that's the guy they would actually bring in to do that for those girls. Yeah. Yeah. Relatability. There's the word that's just kind of sums him up and all that. Um, so before we go, Ken, tell me, do you have just completely off the top of your head, a commercial that you associate with your youth or with the facts of life from your childhood? Yes. Uh, there was an ice cream that mm-hmm. was aimed at yuppies that was called Frozen Glacia. I remember it. And it was the most 80s thing possible. It was supposed to be for like wealthier people than Hagen does. And their tagline was, I ate all the Frozen Glacia. Yes. And I, I, that is one of my favorite obscure references. And don't they tag it with, and I do it again. Yes, they absolutely did. Or or some of the ads. I remember that. Even as a kid, I was like, these seem ridiculous. Yeah. Well, Ken, I do not know how many times I can say thank you and tell you what a thrill it is to actually talk to you myself, voice to voice, not just to have you talking to me in my car. <laughs> it's been an honor to be on, and I, and I apologize for all the incorrect information. And so, oh, no. no you know, <laughs> I, I like to think of Oprah's words when it comes to this, Ken. When you know better, you do better. It's true. It's and true. now you know better. It's true. So uh, we all expect you to do better if you'd work on that then. Working on it. For <laughs> the kabillionth time, thank you, and I hope to have you back. Very welcome. Happy to come back. And there you have it. That was Ken Reed. Thank you, Ken. Did you ever know that you're my hero? From now on, everything that Mrs. Garrett does will be examined through the lens of her possibly being a World War II spy, hitman, trained assassin. That's just, that is now in my brain, and it will never be gone, and I have him to thank for it. <laughs> Listen to Ken's podcast, TV Guidance Counselor. You can get it wherever fine podcasts are found. He has a couple of stand-up albums out. There were two of them, actually. One of them's called The Pilot Season. The other's called The Vanity Project, Volume 1, and they're available wherever you can buy music. His stand-up website is iCanRead.com, and his podcast website is TVGuidanceCounselor.com. I'm going to post links to all this on my website. Don't forget, every week, I post extra audio, too. And this week, Ken and I talked about a bunch of other cool stuff. I would have left it in, but I just didn't want the episode to be two and a half thousand hours long. Because I I really could have talked to him all night. It was just an awesome, awesome time. So, moving on. Next week, I'm going to be watching Season 3, Episode 3, called A Baby in the House. And I'm going to be watching that with my special guest and very good friend, Wesley Slade. Thank you so much for listening to this week's show. And remember, the facts of life are all about you. Let's Face the Facts was produced, written, hosted, and edited by David Almeida. That's me. My theme song was beautifully arranged and recorded by Ned Wilkinson. Our website is facethefactspod.com. You have to drop the let's. And that's where you can find extra pictures, videos, and audio extras from the digital cutting room floor. Follow the show on social media under the handle facethefactspod. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Tune in again next week and every week for another thrilling episode of Let's Face the Facts. <laughs>